Undoing the Common Podcast. This is background noise from Undoing, a podcast about entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs, and by entrepreneurs. Life is messy, so is this podcast. We keep the conversations real, raw, and uncut, complete with all the background noise. In this episode, we get a crash course in making moonshine from the founders of Skunk Works Distillery, a couple of energy industry professionals whose side hustle shine packs a punch, or as their mantra more subtly puts it, engineered to take you places. Buckle in, this is Background Noise. A geologist and an engineer walk into a bar. Kind of sounds like the lead-in to a good joke, doesn't it? But it was actually in a bar, or more likely a series of bars, that Faye Warrington and Marty Lestuka concocted a concoction, a nectar distilled from sugar beets, captured in a bottle, and, as we'll find out, recapturing an era of moonshine production, which was kind of a thing back in the day in Alberta. Before we get to our distinguished distillers, I asked my partner at Undoing, Mark Boivin, for his thoughts on what jumped out at him from the interview. All right, Mark, back at it from our basements. Times uh, have not changed much since we started doing this a couple of months ago, and it doesn't seem to look like at least you and I will be changing our roles in the next foreseeable future as post-secondary educators. No, and it because it's a new semester, it's a new attempt and a new way of doing things. So it's, it's invigorating, but also a little overwhelming at times. So it is really nice to listen to the podcasts and just hear how other people are dealing with things. Cause I think we always can get good ideas for how a particular industry is handling things. We've had podcasts in the last little while of industries that have been greatly impacted by it. Other ones that may have actually been able to use it. And I use that term sort of not in a manipulative way, but, use the opportunity to maybe give back or what have you. So I think that's really what struck me about this, the Skunk Works Distillery, uh, the discussion that you had with them really sort of set off to me thinking about sort of approaching things in a unique way. And, you know, one of the things that we, you've talked about a lot and we talk about together is this idea of design thinking. So maybe lay out a concept like design thinking and what that has to do with moonshine. Yeah. Moonshine makers might be the uh, the quintessential design thinkers. Faye and Marty, you know, they they conjured up this idea as members of the same project team in the oil patch, and as those teams are wont to do, found themselves in a watering hole after you know long days of planning and execution and whatnot. And they looked around. <clears throat> they looked around to see what people were drinking. They um, they probably talked to a few people. They talked to bartenders. They talked about heritage drinks. And I think that that sort of started getting them thinking, especially in this day and age of local borism. What could we make that was uniquely Albertan that would, you know, go over well in a place like this? So they went from that to this ideation stage where all kinds of ideas are kicked around. And I think they landed on this this uh, idea of the distillery, but that wasn't enough. And I think they also wanted to skip a lot of the guidelines and strict regulations around we're going to make gin or we're going to make whiskey or we're going to make rum. And they, they wanted something that was looser and rougher around the edges. And as they say quite a bit throughout this interview, approachable. So 
that took them to that prototype stage. And I think, as I was mentioning to you before we started, I think that's where they continue to not just operate and thrive, but really the, the passion pours out. Marty introduces himself as a moonshine maker and Faye introduces herself as a, um, a Sioux moonshine maker. So she kind of understands that she is um, you know, the, the student observer here to a great extent. Um, Marty seems to have taken the lead in terms of being the mad scientist behind the hoses and knobs. Stage four is the prototype stage and followed by stage five is test. And they seem to be doing that with just about every new batch that they produce is constantly testing and seeing what the appeal is and noticing these little subtleties between each one. I think each one of their batches is is a new test. And even when I was there, I went down there to get hand sanitizer because I realized that they were one of these distilleries that was doing hand sanitizer. And they've just got this amazing, funky little tasting bar that when things open up, it will be a pleasure to go down to and, and see and hear people. But Faye was pointing out to me the, the nuanced differences between one bottle and another and sediment and non-sediment and the clarity and so on. Totally passionate about it. So design thinking is not just for engineering and, you know, when we think about manufacturing and coming up with cool new innovation and tech and everything else, it, it certainly applies to something like moonshine. Probably a longer answer than you wanted. No, I think it's important that people get a sense that we see things like design thinking or competencies that we want to talk a little bit, a bit more about and skills that can be gleaned from this. Because it's very easy to take a business perspective on a business podcast from a couple of marketing profs, but there's the education side of this. It's just like, well, you could explain design thinking to me, give me the stages and I'll go, okay. Or you can give me a company, give me the context, give me the industry, give me an explanation, and then let me listen to a podcast or I can sort of follow along. So, I mean, maybe it's just the shameless educators in us that want to do that. I think it's an important thing for people to keep in mind as they listen to these podcasts is look for the learning, look for the education. I mean, we're we're both going to admit that you should be looking for education everywhere because we are now as well. And so this podcast does a really good, you know, focus on a business, the challenges, the external environment, COVID, but COVID not in a way as an existential threat, but more of an opportunity for them to find an innovative way to shift to the hand sanitizer side, but they're not making any money on the hand sanitizer side. And it's a very interesting process that, you follow along and it's an interesting story and then you can just overlay it with whatever's relevant to you. For us, it's design thinking. So I think there's probably examples of all the competencies that you and I have keyed in on with undoing as I think we can find in all of these things. I think entrepreneurs come with something in their DNA that just um, has all eight of those competency areas just firing all the time. So they're constantly curious and they're constantly critically thinking through things. And I think they, they like so many others that we have in this podcast, they demonstrate elements of all of those competencies. But to me, it's that, that creativity and design thinking that stands out. Good. Well, why don't we have a listen and uh, enjoy this week's podcast? Let's play with Marty and Faye. Skunkworks, here we go. I'm Marty Lestuka. I'm a co-founder and moonshine maker at Skunkworks Distillery. And I'm Faye Warrington, uh, co-founder and Sue Moonshine Maker at Skunkworks Distillery. 
assume moonshine maker. What does that mean exactly? Is that the same language as it is for a chef? Yeah, I would say so. You're a moonshine maker in training. In training. What does it take to become a moonshine maker? I, I didn't know that there was an official training program for it. I thought it was just the, the, the rougher around the edges, the better. Well, some of the roughness is character and some of the roughness is uh, bad taste. <laughs> it's knowing the difference that makes you, uh, makes you an expert, I guess. Awesome. All right, let's hear the backstory. <laughs> let's start there because I'm so intrigued with Skunk Works, have been ever since I think I saw it first pop up on Instagram. Loved the branding, came down there, Fave, saw you one afternoon, picked up some stuff, and I've been experimenting with it quite diligently ever since. It is it is a different product. Let's start there and talk about how you took, or what sort of journey you took to get to this very different kind of product. Uh, well, when Faye and I started uh, started into this, we wanted to uh, we wanted to make something. We wanted to make something a little bit different, um, but at the same time, we wanted to keep it simple. Uh, and so, after a lot of reading and, and looking around, um, we realized that a, a sugar-based moonshine might fit that bill really well. So, something like I said, keeping it really simple and something that we could learn to do really well, um, w- that was the real appeal to it. And also, you know. There was a real mystique to it too. Um, we all have relatives and friends who've, you know, brought moonshine to a party or to a table at some point, and there's always a good story. Uh, may not always be good moonshine, but it's always a good story. So <laughs> we liked we liked uh, associating it with that too. I want to take a step prior to that though, and talk about you know how how you two came together. You 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 talked about how we all had an affinity for this kind of. Um, thought process and this kind of product and the stories around it and so on. What brought you two together and what backgrounds do you, did you come from to get here? Not everyone grows up to be a moonshine maker. Yeah. So by trade, Marty's an engineer and I'm a geologist and the two of us um, had worked together on the same team and um, it was a really great team. We all got along really well and we, we did a lot of really good work together. And as a team, we would often, um, go out and we would have drinks after work and um, you know through that there were lots of conversations about you know wouldn't it be cool to have a distillery and what that would look like and how how um, how how that could grow into something else and so um, although Marty and I are no longer on the same team and we had a couple other people interested in um, developing this together with us it ended up that it was just Marty and I that were kind of left standing now, let me ask you this, honestly, were you, are you still working in oil and gas or in any other, you know, real job capacity or did you leave or are you one of the thousands who were, you know, just displaced? Was this plan B or C for you guys? Was this your way of getting back on your feet or were you, are you still working in, in as I said, a day job? We both actually are still working. Uh, we're both are still employed. We're still at the same company. We were on different teams, though, at this point. So this is a true side hustle. Yeah, we we have to hustle pretty hard to keep them both uh, working. I mean, we we both are you know ca- uh, career professionals, so it's a it's the, the 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 day job is a big deal, but um, but this is the passion, and so uh, you know both take a lot of time, but uh, they're both very engaging, so it helps. And what sort of training? I mean, it's one thing to be sitting in um, a pub after work and 
you know, doing what people do in a pub after work, particularly after a long week, and start dreaming up dreams of a craft brewery or, in your case, a distillery. And it's another thing to actually start laying the foundation for it to find a location and all that. And, and also to to train yourself to become somewhat proficient in doing it. Did you have any background in any of that? What was the process in, in starting up this place? Uh, it was finding a location was really the big thing. Um, it took us almost a year, I'd say, because because distilleries are a little bit different than, than breweries and they require sort of a... a an F1 high hazard uh, zoning. Uh, there, a lot of the buildings are a little bit bigger and, and, and we we're trying to go as small as possible, obviously. So it really took us a while to find something that was suitable. And then once we did, we jumped in and signed all the papers and signed our lives away and committed to it. And then, and then we realized that uh, that meant we kind of passed the point of no return at that point. So we just had to figure everything out. It was just by necessity at that point. And what was the learning process like in terms of the moonshine? Talk us a little bit through what you knew up until that point and what you've learned since about making this product. Well, I knew what uh, I knew what alcohol tastes like. I knew what I liked and I knew what I didn't like. And we, you know, we did a lot of re reading, to be honest, a lot of YouTube videos. And and uh, and uh, beyond that, it's just a lot of uh, courage to try things and be willing to let it fail and then figure out what went wrong and move forward after that. Um, but to be honest, it, it worked out really well at first. We had a lot of good guidance from the person that was supplying our equipment. Um, and, and then we jumped in and I think our plan to keep things simple really helped out and paid out a lot in the end because, uh, then we were able to get some success early on in terms of how it tasted and how it came through. And we were able to build off of that afterwards and optimize. One of the key questions that I always ask my guests, it goes to the heart of entrepreneurialism and there's not a successful business that doesn't start without one. What was or is the problem that Skunkworks is solving? What is that? What is it that Calgarians want that Skunkworks is providing? We wanted something. So it's, it's something that we're making that's, that's uh, a little bit different in, in the area of the, of alcohol, but it, we're really trying to keep it fun and make it so that when people come to discover the product, uh, and it's really a sense of discovery when it comes to moonshine, that they feel like they've, that they're, you know, it's made them feel a little bit better about themselves, to be honest. Like it makes them feel cool. Like, a, like I'm not answering this very well. But, but Marty, you're, you're getting it where I'm going with this. There's always a problem being solved and it's not always about, life and death problems or even about personal problems sometimes it's just about making someone feel good by giving them a knowledge base and i think maybe afay and i recognize there's a bit of a gap maybe the gap that you're thinking of or, or pointing us towards is there's a lot of craft distilleries around that were starting to come forward i mean it's still fairly new when we started getting rolling but um it almost feels like they're a little bit unapproachable like to start to learn about gins or whiskeys is it can be a little bit difficult and it's and they're complex whereas what we want to do is something a little bit more simple a little bit more approachable um and that was a gap that we we're trying to fill i guess did the naming have anything to do with that that desire to make approachable product so skunk works is traditionally um started out as um some some companies have skunk work divisions so a lot of um aeronautical car divisions, even some of the oil and gas companies kind of have a, a, 
skunk works type divisions. And so these are organizations within the organizations that work outside of the mainstream of the companies and they kind of come up with new ideas, new technologies, things that are outside of the mainstream to kind of push the company in a different way. So that's a science-based work. And so for Marty and I, this is our skunk work, our skunk works distillery is, is our side science project, really what it is. I love it. I didn't know it had anything to do with that. I thought it was actually some sort of a moonshine method. No, it's actually really technical. Yeah. It's really, it is actually a technical thing. <laughs> All right. So you signed some papers, you got an agreement, you signed your life away, you trained yourself up on making uh, this particular style of alcohol, and you chose a very non-traditional, well, to me, to the novice, it's a non-traditional base for this. You know, people think wheat or some sort of a grain, corn maybe. Where did you go and why with what you were going to make this stuff from? Well, I feel like we were, so traditionally, when you think of moonshine, traditionally in the South, it's made out of corn. But really moonshine is, it, it doesn't really have a definition to it. And so since we've chosen to go with the prairie beet sugar, local processed and tabor stuff, it was really easy for us to just define what that is by simply calling it a moonshine. It's, we don't, you know, vodkas are, have lots of rules around them, you know, multiple distills. Um, rums have a lot of rules around them, but uh, moonshine doesn't. And we're keeping it really simple by, by doing it with beet sugar. So making it with beet sugar and calling it moonshine is not only a super cool branding element, but it's also a way easier, an easier way around regs and protocol and um, some of the guidelines that would go along with calling yourself a certain kind of alcoholic product. Yeah, I think there's a lot of commercial arrangements, uh, international agreements, in fact, that relate to naming of certain uh, spirits. There's common names to certain spirits. So uh, this one didn't really have a common name. So this is, it, it just made sense to call it moonshine. And, and sorry, Faye, I think you might've mentioned this, but I wanted to hear it again. Why beets? Because of their proximity? Because of their abundance? Why beets again? Well, sugar beets make sugar. And we have a lot of sugar beets in the prairies. We have Tabor just down the road, where, which is where our, our sugars come from. Um, it's just a really nice, simple, clean product. It gives a really clean flavor. Um, we, to be honest, don't have time to deal with the mash that goes along with a lot of the grain processing because we have other full-time jobs and families. <laughs> so therefore, it just the sugar was the right choice for what we needed to do at this time in, in the distillery's life. Were there precedents to this? Was this some of the was this some of the information you found out on your YouTubing that people were making moonshine from sugar beets? You know, did you try making it yourself in a home DIY distillery? I'm I'm curious about this this sugar beet thing. Having tasted it, and and you mentioned it, Faye, before I walked out of your place that it it was if there was anything that it was close to, it was probably vodka, and you're bang on. What was it about uh, the flavoring profile that that made you think this is it? Well, there, it, it's really simplicity was what is the driver. And, and uh, there, there's something called sugar shine that's kind of came up in a lot of my reading online. Uh, so it seemed like the simple product to work with. And then it was just a natural fit with, with the sugar available here from Tabor. So 
that's really what made us start with it. And we're really pleased with the first attempts with it. So we kept with it. When did you open? When was your first bottle made and sold? Well, there's a gap between making and selling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, uh, yeah. Yeah, we had a soft opening in mid-October. So we got our licensing. Um, well, it would have been right, Thanksgiving yeah, weekend. We, so we had a soft, so it takes a while to get going and, and what those, you know, how does the machine work and what does it, you know, what's coming off for flavors. And then uh, we had a soft opening with family and friends in the middle of October and we had our grand opening in the middle of November. And what was the Christmas season like in terms of sales? Was it above, at or below what you would have expected? We didn't really know what to expect since um, this was our first kick at the can, but uh, we were really happy with with um, with our sales. Like, of course, a lot of it because at that point, you know, we're still really only known by our friends and family. But there was a lot of support from them to come out and to um, instead of giving people a bottle of wine, they were giving a bottle of moonshine and and the story behind it of oh, this is my friend makes this or my cousin makes this or whatever that might be. Um, it was actually it was great to have that support so early on, and then they were giving really nice feedback too like good and bad if there if there was issues they would they would say it so um and if they liked it i feel like they were being pretty open and honest on both sides of that so you pushed through a fall opening into uh, holiday season 2019 get through january brand is starting to build people are starting to talk you know we've come into this era in calgary where there's a great deal of locavorism happening and you're in this barley belt area with some other members of your tribe which we'll get to later and then we're all struck down with this virus what was the pivot that you've made since then and, and how did that sort of unfold from an operational standpoint uh it was it was really natural um and and kind of funny just a lot of friends and family started to note shortages of sanitizer and started suggesting it and at, at first we were kind of hesitant um, just because we didn't know what that would really entail and what would be a safe product but then uh, after getting enough <laughs> prodding from from family and finally reading online uh, uh, based on some what some of the American distilleries were doing they'd had a they published a recipe from the World Health Organization which gave gave us some confidence that we could do something that would be uh, healthy so we just we just and at the same time, we'd, we'd kind of been collecting a whole lot of alcohol that that wasn't bad, but wasn't quite tasting quite right. And I didn't know what to do with it. And so those two things just sort of came together. And we said, yeah, we'll just make some sanitizer from it and give it out and see, you know, see how that goes. And, and uh, man, uh, had no idea how, how what the demand would be for that. It was just within a couple of days, people were lining up and it was got really crazy really fast. Have you allocated all of your production to that? I know that that's been the case with some particularly small operations. Are you still able to produce your commercial product? For a short period of time, we did uh, when the demand was quite high. Although over the last, say, probably two or three weeks, it's started to wane and, and now it's quite low. I think some of the, the, bigger, uh, the bigger distilleries and companies have have stepped up production and producing large quantities and, and uh, getting it in the in the stores. So there's not as much demand from us anymore, even even though we're still giving it away. Marty, you're an engineer and Faye, you're a geologist. Or did I get that backwards? 
Correct. So there, there must be another person in here, and I hate to keep coming back to this, but neither of those professions um, ring of chemistry. Well, I guess a chemical engineer would certainly do that, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out where the, where the brains to this operation might come from, from a technical standpoint, or if it's truly all self-taught. Wow. So a lot of what we do is project management, especially through construction phase. And uh, we both have pretty significant experience in project management through our other company work. <laughs> what else? I think that we, yeah, I think that. Um, I went to school for a long time. <laughs> Marty, Marty's actually a fluid mechanical engineer. I can see how that would, would make the construction and the, the operations work. But you're telling me in terms of making booze, you've had no outside expertise weighing in. It's just really been just you guys and a lot of research. Yeah, I, I guess that's the way to say it. Yeah, we're, we're comfortable with research and uh, comfortable with physical processes and making that commercial. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of funny. There was a lot of parallels to our, to our professions in terms of development. For, for real. Um, every step of the way had a parallel, it seemed. Had you ever been in your life or as part of the the ideology or ideation stage of this, had you ever been down to some of these storied places in the U.S., southern U.S., you know, where moonshine is uh, has, its, has its roots? Did you ever get down to any of those places to kind of get a sense of what a place like that feels like and the atmosphere and the soul of a of a traditional place like that? It, it's on our list to go and to understand that better, but really our experience with moonshine, it's its the prairie moonshine. It's the its the illegal stuff back in the day with, that everybody was making on the farms around here and passing around to their neighbors. That's kind of what we think of when it's moonshine. That's our moonshine. I honestly didn't have any idea that was a thing. Are you telling me this was, this was, this is part of Alberta's dark past? We, our ancestors were you know, in their farmhouses and barnyards, cooking alcohol? Not officially. <laughs> Who's asking? <laughs> you know, we, the very first recipe that we took a look at was from um, a really good friend of ours. He, it's his, it's a family, his uh, family recipe. And that was the very first recipe we looked at. And we took that and he was like, do what you want with it. This is, this is how it tastes. And we tasted it and we really liked it. And um, this is the recipe. So we took that and, and we started with that recipe and kind of moved on into our own development from there. But we did have a starting point, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I've noticed that um, watching you on Instagram, you do, and speaking with you one-on-one, -on -one, Faye, when I was there, you do encourage experimentation with how this is consumed as well. I weighed in over the weekend and uh, posted about how wonderful this is with Red Bull. I saw that. I've got to try that one now. You must try it. But it sounds like it's part of the part of the personality of the brand is it's loose and it's rough and it's meant to be used, obviously within certain rules of responsibility legally, but it's meant to be used with that same sort of mentality. It's it's this is yours to experiment and to play with. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And that's exactly what we we're hoping for when we, when we launch this product. I'm glad that's coming across that way. We want it to be approachable. We want it to taste good. We want it to be a quality product, but still like something that everybody can use and however they want to try it out and, and uh, have fun with it. 
How important is the local, the supporting local movement to you? That probably sounds like a dumb question because obviously it is, but could you see yourself opening something like this if there were not a trend toward supporting local and supporting small business? I don't know how to think about that. I mean, we're a business and we and we want to create a product that people want, but I, I think from our perspective, we don't want people to purchase our product just because we're local. We want it to be something that they want, but we want we understand Alberta and 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 where we live. And so we're tailoring our product for the people that we know and the where we live. So so that makes it local. What about the culture of Snowflakes? It is a very different kind of place to walk into. It's 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 almost a, a destination in and of itself to come down there. And it's a shame that that um, you know we've got this virus looming over us. But what went into the design and the decor and the the ambiance you wanted to set inside Skunkworks? Um, was it? Again, we're touching back on kind of our Skunk Works name and back into the kind of aeronautical background, like a steampunk uh, theme with dabble of aeronautical influence in there. We have an astronaut, if you look for it somewhere, hidden in our tasting room. We've got some airplane wings for, for tables, um, lots of metal, lots of burnt wood. I seem to remember velvet curtains and furniture. Yeah. Yeah, we've got and all of, we've got a bunch of antique furniture. It's all comfortable because if I can't sit on it, I'm not interested in buying it. But um, it all has stories on it from families from um, southern Alberta. It's the it's every single piece. There's a story to it. Um, one of our pieces came from southern England in the in the 1880s and ended up in in High River. And so we ended up finding actually it's a full set. And I don't know, there's stories to all of it. And I think that that's what makes it so interesting for me. There is there is a vibe there that that makes it a very inviting and approachable place to be in the middle of an industrial area of Calgary. But as you suggested earlier on, it's sort of becoming known. It's unofficial, unofficially been christened the Barley Belt. So there's there's you and there's two or three other distilleries. And then there's uh, a cidery and a couple of craft breweries, it's, it's really becoming a community unto itself. How important is that camaraderie between you all? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool thing that's happening here. And, and I think it's becoming a, a real destination within Calgary and when you come to Calgary. Uh, so that, that was really important to us that we were really happy we were able to find a building that was kind of in that community. And, uh, and, and the other distilleries you mentioned have been really uh, really friendly and helpful along the way too. You know, it's, it's, it's like you said, a community. And it's really nice. Like everybody tells each other about each other's place, you know, the cider and common cider is always like, Oh, you guys should go check out skunk works. And, you know, and, and the distilleries are telling them about us when we were new kids on the block, well, still are relatively new kids on the block, you know, and we're always telling them about them and the different breweries in the neighborhood. A lot of people don't realize when they come to this neighborhood, there's, you know, well over a dozen places to to visit between breweries and distilleries there's got to be almost 15 15 locations that you could stop in and it's really bike friendly um the city's looking at well now that we're in an economic crisis i'm not sure but we you know the city is planning some bike paths through the area as well to make it um, easier for people to get around they use, they have the big pedal bikes with the 
you know, for the pub crawl of 10 people or whatever. Like it's a really fun neighborhood and, and, and you would never expect that in an industrial area, which makes it even. Makes it skunkier. <laughs> I asked you about supporting local and buying local and Marty, you, you said that um, you don't want people to buy your product because of that, but it is a, it is a growing trend as is, and perhaps a larger trend that's happening all over the world toward, toward craft toward this notion of making things with your hands and the owners of the operation being behind the counter. It is a full circle in a way where we see a movement away from big brands, and I would assume this works in alcohol as well, and toward the smaller brands whose personality they wear on their sleeve and whose faces are right there behind the counter. Has that helped you? Did you think that, did that weigh into your idea that this might be a good time to go forward with something like this. Yeah, I I don't know that we thought about it explicitly like that, but for sure we wanted to be we wanted to be part of our product. We wanted our personalities to come through. We wanted to interface with the people purchasing and enjoying what we're making. And and that's why we wanted to have this business. I mean it wasn't about flooding a market with a cheap product or something like that. We wanted we wanted to have fun. That was the the real basis of what we wanted to create something fun, something where we were meeting people, you know, so it, it, it for sure played in a part. You have a recording studio in the back of your building. Oh yeah. That was just, uh, just a really cool, uh, twist of fate that, that, uh, that our lease and the building that we, that suited us had this, this recording studio in the back. And, uh, you know, we both love live music. Um, we've had, we've had bands come in and, and rehearse in there. And, uh, we've had a, had a couple bands come play in our space as well. And, and we think it would just be fantastic if, uh, you know, we had had more more bands using the space. We, we, we just wouldn't charge anything. We're just happy to have people use the space and, uh, and uh, maybe record something cool there that we'll all hear someday too would be cool. How functional is it? Is it a fully functional turnkey or is it like a, a relic of the 80s? Yeah, it's... It's a fully functional space. We 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 have some equipment. It's the uh, it's the recording equipment that would need to be filled out, but the space itself is is insulated and walled off, and and soundproofed uh, as a music recording studio with an engineer's booth, with a sound booth, and and the main space for for the bands. So what would be a, what would be a full day's work in terms of numbers of those models that you could produce? Yeah, we we could we would put out fifty of those in a, in a Full day, yeah. And you've got two different varieties. Yeah. So, well, three actually. So we we have our flagship mainstream moonshine, which is a which is our most flexible and and approachable product. Uh, we also do one where we steep it in hibiscus flowers, a uh, dried hibiscus. And uh, after a brief bit of experimentation, we just found that that flavor really complements the the sweetness of the of moonshine and gives it a tart interesting flavor so that's we call that moon water just because it's got a really cool color and a little different and then our, our third product um because a lot of people kind of associate moonshine with a high proof spirit something that sort of knocks you back a little bit we we decided we had to make a premium product so we, we picked the best part of the part of the runs for flavor and we we keep it at 55 percent alcohol so that it's got a little bit of a bit of a kick too a little bit more of a kick, and you sell them in the small bottles, the pocket-sized bottles, and the the larger twenty-six ounce. 
uh, and some great merch as well. You guys have such a cool name that we now have kind of the backstory too. Who did, who was responsible for the branding? And, and I must say also, if you find your way into the little cul-de-sac that Skunk Works is in, you will not miss it because of the uh, amazing mural painted on the side of your building. Who, who is responsible for the look and feel of the branding? So we had a, a great guy do, named Josh Clark He from Clark Studio, and he did um, a, a bunch of our, well, he did all of our, our branding. And he was great. Like he sat with us, we went for beers um, as we do and went through all of our feelings and ideas and thoughts. And from that, he, he went away and he, um, he produced what, what, what you now see at Skunk Works Distillery, which he, I think he did a fantastic job. And then from there, um, Rob from Turkey and Pistols, which is um, who provides our, our shirts for us. He's also um, really great with graphics and um, has a great graphic design background as well. And he was the one who painted our, um, our mural on the front of our building as well. I can't wait till the restrictions are lifted and people can flood into your location. I'm sure you've been thinking about this for a while. What, what sort of um, planning, I know you can't really plan when, but you can, but you can certainly plan um, what it's going to be like. What sort of things do you have in mind when restrictions are lifted and people can free flow in and out of buildings and stores and retail locations again? Uh, we'd actually already started planning a, a, a little uh, musical weekend, outdoor musical festival <laughs> actually back in around December, January. But unfortunately, I think that's going to get kicked back a year. But uh, we are moving forward with, uh, with developing a patio area out. It's just on the back side of our building and it's uh, borders a green space and it's got a beautiful view of downtown, great sunset. So it's actually, we're really excited about that, that space and hopefully we'll be able to still enjoy that this summer. Some sort of special permit probably required for that or is that already in your pocket? Well, we're we're working on a a summer release of a a summer menu. So we're working on some new cocktails Uh, and we're fiddling around with with a new product release as well. Oh, leave us with a cliffhanger. (laughs) What would you guys like people to think about in in five years, assuming Skunk Works is a going concern and you've, you've grown from your humble little beginnings and you know maybe you have larger facility or greater capacity you've got more employees your brand is well known at least in alberta what what words would you like what what words would you like to hear that would signal to you that it was a mission accomplished i'd love to overhear people walk up to a bar and order skunk and soda especially if it was you know a a local person buying for a, a friend out of town you say you want you want a uh, a drink you want a, a cocktail from from Calgary this is the drink you get kind of make it our 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 drink skunk and soda that has such an incredible ring to it why why didn't I think of that I, I just went right to the Red Bull it's good is that your preferred uh, mix Marty is the soda yeah I like I like to keep it simple um, and I also really like the, the moon water just over ice nothing mixed just uh, just the flavor Faye what about you what's your what's your preferred method I'm a bit of a lazy cocktail maker when it comes to my own cocktails. And so I, I like uh, the moonshine with club soda and lime juice. Just enough lime to get it kind of cloudy with a big chunk of ice. That's my favorite. 
Are you in any bars yet? I know this isn't a great time to ask because there aren't many open or none open, but were you in, and would that be, um, obviously, Marty, to go to your dreamscape where someone orders a skunk and soda that needs to be in place, but are there any early adopters who are putting you in there, were putting you on their shelves before all this happened? Uh, you know, we were right on the edge. That's what we were going around doing uh, with a little suitcase full of moonshine from bar to bar. But we didn't quite get in anywhere. We had we had a few nibbles, but uh, then this all hit, and so it's kind of it's on the shelf for right now. But hopefully, we'll we'll come back with a storm when everything opens. I just love the image of the two of you with a suitcase full of moonshine. Well, <laughs> and it's a great, it's like the perfect suitcase for it. Like you, next time you're in, ask us to see the suitcase because it's awesome. It's right out of the '60s. And <laughs> well, I plan on coming down again. Either I run out of the one bottle, which is totally conceivable or uh, restrictions are lifted and we can come down again, but I, I will definitely be down. I want to see this place in its environment that it was designed to be with people around and stories being told and all kinds of great moonshine mixes going on. Yeah, we, we look forward to it. Well, congratulations to you both. It's a great idea. I love so many things about it. We are big fans of stories and products that support those stories well. So all the best to you and continued success through this hump. It will pass and uh, better days ahead. And I will, I too, I, I, you know what? I'm, I, this is not the kind of drink I would typically order, but I, I will go into a bar one time and ask for a skunk and soda. And if they don't, <laughs> it, I'm going to give them hell. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for asking to meet with us. It's been really fun. Fun for me too. Faye Warrington and Marty Lestuka of Skunk Works Distillery, nestled in the increasingly trendy area of Manchester Industrial Park in Calgary, becoming more known as a social hangout than just a place reserved for auto body repair. If you're into creating quirky cocktails and you want to meet the people behind the sugar beet shine, chances are you'll find one of them behind the bar. Head to skunkworksdistillery.com to start swizzling your own ideas. Stay healthy and safe, and thanks for making us your background noise. It means a lot.